You are very welcome along to the special event here on the News Talk Facebook page. Over the next 40 minutes or so, we are going to take a deep dive into all things relating to cybersecurity. This is a topic that has dominated headlines here in Ireland over the last month or so in the wake of the HSE ransomware attack. But what do all these terms and themes mean and how could they impact you and your business? We are going to explore all of this over the next little while with thanks to Cisco protecting what's now and what's next. And I'm delighted to have an expert panel with me to tease through some of these issues. We have Martin Lee, who's the technical lead of security research at Cisco and Declan Power, security and defense analyst. Uh, you're both very welcome. We have plenty to talk through. I'm not sure the 40 minutes is going to be enough for us to get through it all. But Martin, I might start with you if that's OK, because um, I know you've been working in this space for 20 years. And it's still a topic that a lot of us are getting our heads around. We're getting to digest some of that terminology. But when we're talking about cybersecurity in general, what exactly do we mean by that? Well, it's all a, a story of really of how much technology has become part of our lives. Um, everything that we do from a professional point of view, from our professional lives to our social lives, increasingly revolves around security and um, sorry, increasingly rolls around technology and the bad guys that are out there and are always bad guys have found ways of being able to subvert that technology that we use and use it to their own gains. So in terms of cybersecurity, what we think about is um, the confidentiality of our data um, the availability of that technology in order just to do things and um, the integrity of making sure that our data and our devices aren't, aren't tampered with. Um, from the bad guys point of view, we see that uh, criminals increasingly have moved to adopt technology. Uh, if you wish to rob a bank these days, you don't put a stocking over your head and go down the high street. Um, you use a computer and you'd use it to um, access someone's online uh, bank account uh, and try and steal the money that, that way. So cybersecurity is all about how do we protect these systems and that are such an important part of our day and also the data which is increasingly part of our lives. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that this is something that it seems like we're just talking about it all of a sudden. But as I mentioned there, you've been talking about it for 20 years. Am I right in just saying that the the nature and the sophistication of the attackers has increased, but also have the stakes for us, the average consumer? Because as you mentioned there, like everything we're doing is online now. If somebody gained access to my social media, to my cloud account, to my banking all of that could be done getting access to my phone or my computer. And that's my, essentially my entire life. So that's the dramatic difference that's happened over the last 20, 25 years. Yes. Um, as computer devices have increasingly become networked, uh, we're, we're exposing them to, to a world of risk. Um, you know, we, we, we all know about the, the bad guys that we're likely to encounter in our, in our normal lives. Um, it's very easy to forget that the phone that sits in your pocket is a, is, a, is a computer device. And if that's continuously connected to the to the Internet, 
then yeah, there's all sorts of, of, of bad guys that might be looking for that or might be looking to subvert um, our activities for their own ends. I think one thing to remember, if we go back into the history of computing and the very, very first computers that were built at Bletchley Park and did the incredible work in uh, deciphering the German communications during the war, these were the first computers and they were built to hack. So the whole history of electronic computing is that of, of security. And over the years, I think a key thing to, to remember is uh, bad guys don't get any dumber. They only learn from their previous successes and, and build on that. So we need to make sure, I mean, there's no need to panic, but we need to make sure that our security that we have in our lives is, is adequate and uh, uh, the correct level for the level of, prote of protection that we need. Declan, I might come to you here because that point is an excellent one and that the hackers, they're not getting any dumber. Technology, although it's a tool to enable us to you know, do more and be more efficient, it also can be used against other people for uh, nefarious means, I suppose. Do we still have a job to do when it comes to educating people about the security the security side, and there's more to cybersecurity than just doing a campaign telling everyone not to have their password as password one, two, three. Absolutely. Do we need to do more? Certainly, absolutely we do. And as I was listening to Martin, uh, putting things in context and giving a little bit of historical uh, background as well, I was reminded of somebody I worked with some years ago who was talking about a situation with regards to security uh, within an institution and the different levels and layers. And it, you know, it's now accepted cybersecurity is one of those important layers. But he made an interesting point that always stayed with me. He said the problem here is it's going to take a little bit of time for sociology to catch up with the technology. Mm -hmm. So to come back to the point uh, that Martin was talking about with bad guys aren't getting any dumber or thicker. Uh, that's true. Technology is advancing. But society is always a little bit slow in the catch up. So the popular culture is only getting to grips now with a lot of things that have been out there in the form of criminal activity scams. Uh, and most of where I come from, the background I come from, would look at the human factor mm. in security weakness and breaches. And what we're seeing with cyber security is that it's at the very least a double-edged sword. And for a long time when people talked about cyber security, particularly executives, chief executives in companies and people running state institutions. And we can kind of see how this fits in with the, the recent attack and, and our lack of preparedness for it here in Ireland, <clears throat> is that people talked about it in terms of purely a technical issue and a technical responsibility. And that was the responsibility of the chief technology officer or the chief operating officer, or that's, you know, individuals themselves. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you can think of co-workers uh, who would say, I have a problem here, it's the people in the IT department that will deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so all IT issues, including security, got lumped uh, into somebody else's issue. Ordinary individuals didn't think about uh, cyber or IT security in the same way they would have been conditioned to think about personal security uh, or security responsibilities with sensitive information, if, depending on the kind of role they had. Mm -hmm. So where that became a problem was that uh, the bad guys that Martin mentioned became quite clever as technology improved to protect, to create things like firewalls back in the day when they were actually a useful form of protection. Individuals were targeted because they were the weak point. 
And it, you know, when you look, come back to it, it's nearly always the human element. And even in the cyber attack on the HSE, as far as I'm aware, they've traced it to a particular computer where somebody had to open an email. So somebody, some human being had to make a decision to let that uh, array of um, uh, technical uh, software that did the damage into the building. So it's the same as somebody hearing a knock on the door at 2 a.m and opening the door to let a burglar in. Why would you do that? No normal person would, because they've got the appropriate awareness. Mm. But we still lack, as a society, cyber situational awareness is what I would refer to it as. In, in, in the military, one of the things that you learn at an early stage was situational awareness about the topography and the terrain you're in. Now we have to apply that thinking to the cyber domain. So that we, and and it, the good news is that I, I'm convinced if we get people aware of that, that we can plug a lot of holes. I think it's fascinating when you describe it like that, you know, just the, the situational awareness. I think that a lot of the, the hackers, and the reason why we see the text message scams, for example, so, you know, some scammer purporting to be a delivery company, they're going to deliver your fancy new dress for Saturday night, but you have to click this link right now and you have to give your banking information. The reason those um, those scams happen so often is because they're successful. People want their dress for Saturday night. Yep. They're going to click on the link and they're buying into that human condition, which is we want and the sense of urgency. Mm. They're very clever. So even people who would think that they are uh, cyber savvy or whatever you want to call it, they can still fall for it because these, yeah. th these scammers are ever evolving. It's not just the Alberian prince or wherever oh, yeah. he was based, you know, from 10 years ago wanting to give you a million euro. They're evolving the entire time. So how do we ensure that our awareness keeps a pace with the, the, with the hackers or the whoever's behind it? Well, two things. First thing you said there, uh, we've already been well conditioned to chase the the kind of the, the feel-good candy, if you like. Mm. Uh, so, you know, whether you're on Facebook or whatever, you know, the social media platforms are all about click for gratification, if you like. You know, you've, you see you've got a message. I don't, you know, how many people have their Facebook or whatever connected directly to their phone? And you feel under pressure to respond straight away. Mm. So hackers, let's just call them that for want of a collective term, have, you know, are, are quite clever and realise, well, this is already the, the, the playing pitch we're on. So now our communications that we use to get in the door, they have to be congruent. So just to use that term. So congruency really uh, has become more sophisticated. The, um, the Nigerian prince, just to, not, to, not to fixate on the poor old Nigerians, but back in the day, you know, who was looking to have his money rest in your account, that's really you know, you know, old hat now. Mm. Uh, people aren't going to be caught out with that, but they will be caught out with other simple things. And just one pertinent example, some years ago, you might remember, there was a local authority uh, in Ireland, uh, where they very nearly transferred a, a large amount of money to somewhere in China. And uh, it was one of the, the county councils. And the, what happened was an administrative member of staff got an email from her boss saying, uh, could you transfer X amount of money to this particular outfit? She, was, uh, she very nearly did it. Actually, I think she did do it, but they were able to uh, stop the, the transfer. Why did she do it? Because the communication was totally congruent uh, to what she would expect from her particular boss. How did that happen? Because somebody had penetrated that local authority's system. They lay in the system, a little bit like a, a, an SAS soldier is trained to sit in the undergrowth and study the topography and the terrain and the movements of people. And they studied the communications, uh, the vernacular, 
and the, the style. So that their fake communication followed all of those things. Now, there was, there, there was undoubtedly technical expertise needed, mm. but there was uh, human uh, awareness and psychology expertise being deployed as well. And that, that's what makes this so lethal. How do we combat it? It, com it comes back to the thing of training people in, I would call it, congruency testing. So, you know, there's an old saying, if it, if it walks like a duck and waddles like a duck, it is a duck. So how, we have to, we have to uh, rejig and restart people's natural suspicions and to, to, uh, to trigger those things, because for a long time, most of us in the Western world have turned off those things. Yeah, Martin, I might come to you at this point, because a lot of uh, companies are, obviously cybersecurity has been in the headlines, as we've said there, so everybody has a heightened awareness of it at the moment. But for companies who now may be looking to invest in their cybersecurity infrastructure, is it enough to add a layer of cybersecurity on top of already existing systems? Or do you almost need to go down to the foundation level and ingrain it into the DNA, the practice, the mindset, the function and the focus of the company as a whole to ensure that we catch those instances like Declan mentioned there? Yeah, I think a very, very good place to start is to ask the question, what could possibly go wrong? Um, there's enough stories about cybersecurity incidents and, en and enough examples out there of, of organizations that have fallen um, for these kind of attacks for people to think, well, okay, if, if I do reflect um, on my own business or my own personal life and start thinking about what could possibly go wrong, you can then start to put in those defenses that are necessary. And you, you can't rely on one single defense. We need to have many different levels of overlapping defenses so that we're maximizing our chances of detecting and blocking an attack. And the sooner that we can detect that attack, the better. Um, because to take Declan's example, um, yeah, if, if a bad guy is putting together a very, very sophisticated attack using your own language and the people that you normally um, talk to, it's going to be quite difficult to detect that. But if we can take that incursion back in time to the point where we've got the bad guy getting on the mail server, downloading the mail, putting together the language for their attack, then we can, we're at a very, very better point of stopping it. And we're more likely to stop harm being incurred. But I, I think one key point uh, to, to go back a little bit is that we need to accept that people are human. Um, we can tell people um, to be aware of what's out there. And I hope um, events such as this can allow people to maybe just reflect on their own security that they have in their business or in their day-to-day -day life. But for those of us in the, in the security industry, we have to accept that people are human. Human error is part of being human. Um, the bad guys are very, very sophisticated in putting together their social engineering attacks to make them look realistic. So I think where we need to start from is to stop as many of these attacks as possible getting in front of people. Um, because not everyone is going to recognize the attack as legitimate all the time. Mm. So we wanna stop the attacks coming through so that people aren't seeing them and aren't being tempted to engage. And then if they do engage, we need to detect that very, very early on. 
and stop the attack progressing so that even if you do click the link, uh, you're not taken to that malicious website, or if you are taken to the malicious website, the additional malicious tools aren't downloaded. And if you, heaven forbid, do give away your username and password to an attacker, that again, we can detect the malicious use of those stolen credentials through things such as two-factor authentication. So we have the tools in place to do it but we need many overlapping tools and we also need to um, yeah, remember no matter how many times you tell people, don't click the link, don't click the link, the next time that funny cat video comes through from their friend, they're gonna click the link. And if they're expecting that parcel that is, has been delayed and they get that email saying, oh, we need to reschedule your, your parcel, people will click the link. And, and this is the bad guy's game and they've, they've turned out to be pretty good at it. Let's scrape it back though and answer the fundamental question that a lot of people will text in to us here at News Talk and ask, which is, what's the point of all of this? What are the, the hackers or the attackers looking to get from, firstly, me, the average citizen, an SME that probably doesn't have millions to pay out in ransoms? Then you can go up to things like, you know, the, the health service here in Ireland that was targeted by the ransomware attack. So, Martin, can you talk us through th those different scenarios? So the individual, the SME and then the big company that possibly does have the money to pay out millions. Yeah. So the vast majority of attacks are criminal in nature. Um, the, the, it, it's, it's part of organized crime. There's a lot of money for the bad guys to extract. I think, I mean, I've said it before and I've said it again, there's no such thing as a new crime. What we are seeing um, are these traditional crime methods being updated for the 21st century. So for an individual, again, if I was a bad guy thinking about how I might target you, it's a matter of thinking, well, how am I best going to get money out from you? So, um, Attacking you for your bank account details is um, a very, very good way. Bad guys put together sophisticated malware, malicious software that could steal your banking details or piggyback on the connection as you connect to your bank online. Um, certainly getting your usernames and passwords for any financial system that you use. Uh, could use that for insurance fraud, um, identity theft, taking out loans in your name, trying to get your friends to send to send you in inverted commas, the bad guy pretending to be you because you need the money and you're stuck in a um, in a faraway country and you need and you need funds. Um, those are very much financial oriented um, crimes. The other one, a uh, criminal business model that really has been developed over the past uh, you know, 10, 15 years or so is that of ransomware. So um, I'm sure you have many, many important things on your personal devices, um, photos of loved ones, important documents, maybe your credentials serve to access those systems that are part of your life. And for a bad guy, if you can get malicious software on your laptop and encrypt those files so that you no longer have access to them, our bad guy can then request money from you in order to get those files back. All it is, it's kidnap updated for the 21st century. We're taking away something of value to you. 
um, in the previous, uh, you know, non-online world that yes, that might genuinely be a family member, but in the online world, in the cyber world, it's so much more easy to take away the files that are value to you. For attacks against SME businesses, really, it's roughly the same kind of, um, of business model. Again, we want to get the financial information so that the bad guys can conduct um, essentially online mugging or bank theft. Also, the ransomware. The bad guys um, know that your average SME doesn't have uh, millions of euros to pay in ransom, but they will almost certainly know more or less to the euro exactly what ransom you might be willing to pay. Um, so again, the bad guys have um, studied their, uh, their victims in great detail and know how to put together some very, very convincing attacks, know the right price point um, for your particular uh, weaknesses. And then for larger organizations, again, we have all that again, um, but we also have the notion of targeted attacks where somebody is researching an organization in depth, identifying what are the weak points of how they might get into that organization, and that might be through um, uh, and, uh, targeting an individual. It also might be through technical weaknesses um, that are exposed on the, um, on the internet, so they can get inside that organization. Once they're inside, they'll spread out across the network, um, jumping from system to system, and what they're looking for are the crown jewels. What are those key systems that an organization can't do without? Because if you hit those with ransomware, you can bring an entire business um, or an entity in the public sector to a halt. And then you can ask for a ransom of a different magnitude than you might be, um, you know, if you hit my laptop and maybe you got the picture, you know, the pictures of my children as a baby or, um, you know, my, my lunch dates that I only have here, you know, you might be able to hit me for a couple of hundred euros or hit a member of the public for a couple of hundred euros for that. But if you're bringing an entire company to a halt, you can ask an awful lot more. Yeah, and we're going to explore uh, what that awful lot more is and also what happens when countries are targeted and different parts of uh, different government bodies are targeted in just a quick second. But for you watching at home, I would love to hear from you if you do have any questions or you have any comments. What have you seen? Have you been targeted by these scams? Have you or a family member fallen for one? And what was the, the recourse uh, in that instance? You can pop your comments below. Um, and a quick reminder, for those of you just joining us, we are talking through all things cybersecurity with thanks to Cisco protecting what's now and what's next. We have Martin Lead, uh, who is the technical lead of security research at Cisco and Declan Power, uh, security and defense analyst. And Declan, I want to come to you picking up on what Martin was talking about there. So when you target the the, the the, the people and the organizations with lots of money, there's a lot at stake. We saw the HSC attack, the ransomware attack, um, exactly a month ago uh, this week. Uh, and the impact that had, it brought the health service to its knees because elements of the health service had embraced technology. If you look at maternity care here in Ireland, they had embraced uh, e-health records, which is a fantastic innovation. But however, as a result of that, uh, they were completely brought to a standstill as a result of the cyber attack. So when hackers target health services or 
any element of uh, that type of infrastructure that is vital to the running of a country. What's at stake? And is this going to become the norm? Is this all now just part of a political game of chess uh, that, you know, one company can bring another company to its knees with a few lines of code? I, I don't think that's quite the, 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 the way the situation, the way that landscape is evolving and they, they become a part of corporate one-upmanship, uh, probably because they would have greater things to lose in terms of reputation and in terms of, uh, of simply being able to be brought before the courts. Mm -hmm. You know, if one company was to do that to another in Ireland or in the UK or within the European sphere, you know, there would be consequences, legal consequences. Whereas, you know, what we've seen with the, the hack on the HSE, we know that it came from Russia. Uh, you know, and if it, even if it was possible to prove that uh, fully and uh, seek extradition, that's not going to happen. So there'll be no legal consequences. So <clears throat> one of the things that we have to realize is that there is a very blurred junction point between this being a justice issue or a defense issue. So we need to have a more joint approach with the services who carry out those tasks. So law enforcement, military, the thinkers behind that coming together to conceive appropriate strategies. You heard a lot of people in Ireland talking about, well, the Garda Cyber Bureau are, uh, were, were, were on top of this and dealing with this. <clears throat> but really, and they themselves would admit this, they're configured to be able to gather evidence where there has been some sort of a cyber crime, where they have full access to that. Uh, this was way beyond their purview. And so we, we, we also need, if we're going to have a joint approach between justice and defence entities, we need to be doing that on an international level. So like-minded nations, the Western European nations, Western nations, uh, need to be banding together to create a form, forms of cyber alliance in terms of sharing knowledge and sharing uh, defence systems. And to amplify a point that uh, Martin was talking about too, uh, that relates to the HSE, as I uh, uh, understand it, technically speaking, the HSE was reasonably uh, uh, easy to penetrate because their defense was more or less defense in breadth. Their, their, their technical defense uh, was like one series of barricades. For students of military history, it was a bit like the Maginot Line that France built between Germany and themselves after the First World War to prevent a Second World War. And they put all their efforts and defense into that. And what did the Germans do? They invaded the Low Countries and came around behind. And they literally took the whole of France, and then they dealt from behind with the Maginot Line. And in a way, that's, that's what's happened with certain corporate entities that have invested all their defenses, their, their technical defenses, in that style of defense. So defense in depth, a concept of that is what's needed. And I think Martin was, was talking about that, that you need these layers. Uh, they need to have, there needs to be a human factor in terms of training and awareness, as well as technical factors. And that's something that I think is quite lacking in a lot of Irish institutions, uh, particularly state institutions. Uh, and we're probably not the only ones. So moving forward, we need to be aware that now that there are a number of layers there is the national security element to cybersecurity. There is the institutional and corporate layer, and then there would be the individual layer. So when Martin was talking about the individuals who would be scammed for a few hundred euro, a few hundred pounds or whatever else, that, that's, that's one element that we're, most people probably were aware of to some extent. Uh, we're more aware of the corporate entity, but now I think it's safe to say there's a blurred line between national security and corporate security because it can be in a state, a, a, a rogue state's interests to use these uh, hacking groups to perform uh, penetrations that they will make some money out of. 
but that that state will gain out of because of the chaos that would be created. And we need to think more clearly and develop strategic thinking, combined strategic thinking. It's a little bit like the concept, again, if I can use a historical analogy, the time of, of, of war between uh, England, Spain and France and piracy. And the, uh, all of the, the great nations, but uh, England uh, were very good at commissioning what they called privateers. They were pirates who were given a, a roving commission from the, the, the king or queen to go ahead with your piracy because it's interrupting uh, French commerce or Spanish commerce. And the Spanish and French did the same. So in a way, what we're seeing are organized states you know, developing this relationship where these hackers are privateers. So they're doing it both for their own gain and they're doing it uh, maybe at times in the interests of a particular state. And that's, that's going to take a bit of thinking to combat. It's interesting. I've done quite a bit of reading about this in the last little while. And one thing that has struck me, Martin, is that we have the professional cyber gangs who are as hot as you like. They know what they're doing. They know how to play every step of the game in terms of a ransomware attack. But then there's also an increase in the average Joe hacker at home. Like it could be a teenager in their bedroom. It could be anybody anywhere in the world like deploying essentially what is a software as a service platform uh, for ransomware attacks. And that's terrifying because they aren't as sophisticated in terms of the negotiation. Perhaps they don't have the same ethics, if you'll allow me to use that word in this context, uh, when it comes to negotiating, whether they, there are sensitive, um, I suppose, implications of targeting certain individuals or certain companies. That is a scary thing to have that SaaS approach to, to ransomware attacks. There is a thriving underground economy of services, professionals, tools, yes, um, uh, ransomware as a service, all sorts of things and, and various uh, forums where they, that are out there that you can, you can join. And um, yes, you, you, often the barriers for um, uh, entry into becoming a cyber criminal are, are relatively low. However, um, those tools that are widely distributed are the ones that organizations such as my own are gonna come across very, very early on. We know the signs, we know what it looks for, what it looks like. And so actually, if you're using these entry level tools, chances are you are going to be detected very, very quickly indeed. Um, we do work uh, together with uh, law enforcement across the, uh, across the globe. We're happy to share um, the intelligence that we have on attacks. And I think one of the key things in managing cybersecurity is getting across that feeling that if you indulge in this, you're going to be found, you know, you're going to be found and you're going to be held to account for your um, for your actions from a legal point of view. Um, the the areas that tend to be slightly more complicated, I mean, if we can think about that, there's layers of, of sophistication of, um, of threat actors. And we've got those very, very low, low levels that are using um, off the shelf tools or stuff that they've um, that they've bought over the Internet. There's fairly low sophistication. This, certainly from my point of view, there's not a lot of sport here to, to, to stop. If you've got the defences in place, if you've got um, antivirus on all, you've, all of your devices, this, this isn't going to be that much of a problem. As we go up the scale, we get increases in sophistication and increases in the resources available to the gangs. So, yeah, those, those top-level 
um, cyber criminals who are, I mean, let's face it, they are earning millions of, of dollars. Uh, a few years ago, we were able to, to take down one particular ransomware uh, gang, and they were bringing in, in the region of $50 million a year from, um, from ransoms. That's a lot of money that can be reinvested in software engineering to build better and more sophisticated tools, and also to build infrastructures that are less resistant to, to being taken down. And these indeed are, are the types of gangs, as Declan refers to, as privateers that maybe are operating with uh, the, the nod and the wink, or at least some degree of tolerance from a nation state. And then beyond that, we also have um, nation state resources. Um, these attacks tend to be really relatively rare um, and associated with geopolitical uh, politics, where we have one nation state uh, seeking to conduct espionage on another. And again, in the 21st century, if you want to be a spy, you don't be like James Bond and shin up a drain pipe to steal the secrets. No, you hack into the you hack into the system, and some of these attacks tend to be the most sophisticated because they have the whole resources of a nation state behind them. But but there is this spectrum of capability. Um, not everyone is exposed to all of um, uh, of these risks and threats, and typically it goes back to being able to answer that question. What could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong for your organization and in your life? And then how do we respond appropriately to that? What protection do we put in place that's adequate for the threats that we, um, that we have faced? And, and the example I, I frequently use, uh, my plumber, he's a small businessman. Of course, he needs to know about cybersecurity and needs to have some protection in place but the level of protection he needs is very, very different from that from the um, chief executive of a defense contractor, uh, which would be exposed to a whole new range of threats. And, and the trick is, is just remembering or reflecting on what kind of threats am I likely to be faced and what do I need to put in place in order to, um, to protect myself from that. Yeah, I do fear that we're going to get to a stage now where everyone is going to become as cranky and cynical as me and, you know, not trust anything, question everything. If you get like a, a nice birthday card in the post, you'll be looking for the catch. Like that's where my head is at now, because I do think the level of sophistication of these scammers, of these hackers is incredible. Martin, one thing I wanted to ask you, though, in sort of keeping with uh, that theme, I suppose, we've spoken a lot about money and the financial targets of these criminals. But we also know the reputational damage that can be done to a business if they are the target of a data breach. And um, we've had some pretty high profile ones here in Ireland over the last 12 months alone. Uh, very big, very reputable companies have been targeted with tens of thousands of names, addresses, email address, dates of birth, like a lot of personal information about customers being compromised. When a company is targeted by an attack like that and customer data has been impacted, who is the first phone call to? And talk to me a little bit about that seesaw of like, do we, like I know now because of GDPR, they have to tell the Data Protection Commission that this has happened. But I suppose the, the, the way in between reputational damage versus integrity of the company going forward, because I'd say it is a bit of an internal struggle for, struggle for some. Well, I mean, the role of 
the cybersecurity profession and organizations such as my own in Cisco is really to be able to research in depth what, what is happening, what is out there, and so that we can put the protection together so that we can enable technology to function. So, um, you know, organizations, of course, they need to know about their customers. At a minimum, they need to know their name, their email address, and their, and their address. So this is information that organizations need to be able to, uh, to just conduct commerce. Um, technology should absolutely be an enabler. It should be making our lives easy and easier. Um, but again, it comes down to thinking, what could go wrong? What protection do I need to put in place? As you say, there's many, many examples now of, uh, of breaches. Um, I think what we need to do in terms of technology for any organization is to, is to reflect, to identify well, what did go wrong, how did the bad guys achieve this, and on learning from previous attacks, we can identify what do we need to do to stop the next one happening, you know, what are the steps, uh, and also you know, my own area of expertise is in threat intelligence, is in spotting what is happening early. Um, these are, these cyber attacks are, they're crimes, they're cyber crimes. And at the scene of every crime, criminals leave big sticky fingerprints. Um, but unlike Sherlock Holmes, it's not a matter of having a big magnifying glass and going around with your dusting powder. These, these are big sticky fingerprints in the data. The fingerprints and the signs of the incursions are always there if you know how to look. And um, certainly what I would like to see in, in the way of security going forward is people thinking earlier, you know, what are the signs of the incursion? How are the bad guys getting in? How can we respond very, very quickly to stop a situation going wrong, because once they've been a breach, once the bad guys have got hold of your of your crown jewels, realistically, there is no good outcome. Nothing is going to is going to be good of this. Um, what we need to do is remember that this happens. Unfortunately, it's a fact of life. But start thinking: How can we respond early in this process so that we can detect? Well, one, we want to stop the incursion happening. That, that's our number one goal. But if it does happen, how do we stop it early on and stop something bad becoming a major, a major incident? And yeah, there, of course, there will always be um, areas of the organization that are, that are competing for resources. We don't live in a world of infinite resources. Um, but I do think it is um, for, for us within the security business and have responsibility for, for customer data to, to speak up and to point the finger at, um, at these public attacks and use them as a learning experience and be able to say to senior management, look, we don't want this to happen to us. And this is what we need to do to put in place in order to stop it happening. Declan, at the top of this conversation, I started uh, by asking a little bit about, you know, education and have we done enough to alert people about the types of attacks that go on, about what we are talking about when we say things like cybersecurity. And something I've been thinking about over the last month or so since the HSE attack is, do we need a mass education campaign similar to what we had around the time of GDPR? I know pretty much every single person, I'm sure you watching at home, rolled their eyes to the skies every time GDPR ads came on the radio or the TV or the newspapers. 
but it worked. Mm -hmm. We all know the fundamental principles. I don't know if you know them all, but we have a general idea of what we're talking about when we say GDPR. Do we need to have that, you know, European-wide shoulder-to-the-wheel approach to cybersecurity as well? I certainly think we do. That's one element that we need. And uh, as you were saying that, I was minded to think about the old days of the Safe Cross Code campaign. Mm -hmm. So we need a, a mass public information and education campaign that starts from the ground up with kids so that their school, they're, they're, they're socialised mm -hmm. in the basics of congruency testing of uh, their, their behaviour online. Now, we already know that there's a lot of things that kids need to be socialised about with regards to proper practice and how to protect themselves from negativity online. So it shouldn't be beyond the ken of man and governments to be able to create appropriate uh, training environment. And then the next thing is, we, but it just not just the kids, but adults as well. Uh, now, that's a, at a personal level. But... And within the body politic, within governments, not just our own, uh, we need that greater awareness. The policymakers have to waken up and understand how this plugs in and not just try and look at it as a technical issue. Um, again, as, as, as Martin was talking about some of the, 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 the concepts there, I was uh, reminded of things like the breach in uh, Tallinn, but the Estonians were subject to a cyber attack um, allegedly by the Russians, and it, it was the Russians, and it was because of a geopolitical issue to do with a pipeline. And it was, you know, the, the Russians did this as a form of hybrid warfare because it couldn't be directly put at their door. And that was a time for the European Union in particular to be waking up and saying, hold on, do we have a weakness in this area? And the answer is we do. And then what, what, but what was the response? There was no great response at that time. Nobody, you know, it was kind of, well, we move on from that. And the Estonians were, for a period, a short period, you know, that their state was brought to a halt. And so there was a very good indicator of how much damage can be done without, without any bloodshed and without any mass uh, investment of men and material. Now, in Ireland, We've had a few wake-up calls in the last few years. And not before the HSE happened, there was a penetration of the ESB, the Electricity Supply Board grid. And that was widely considered, A, to have been a state actor, B, to have been a bit of a dry run because our grid system, we share elements of it with Northern Ireland, it's similar to the UK's, and that it was a bit of a dry run. And then not too long after that, in that same time frame, this is back around 2017, there was a penetration of... Actually, I think it was the, the HSE, their, their system. I'm not sure of the, the exact detail of it, but an hour or so later, there was a penetration of the Scottish um, National Health Service. Um, and again, this so dry runs, penetrations, probings. We hear sometimes about uh, Russian bombers flying into UK and Irish airspace. Well, this is a variation of that. So there, there were a few red flags to wake us up and, and say, well, how... Um, serious are we about our cyber security and let's start looking at it and we need to look at it at the national level that you know are we an easy target from a national security point of view at the the corporate and institutional level and then the individual level so we need to be looking at the the various you know threat levels uh, to paraphrase martin the threat actors we need to become more literate with recognising the threat indicators in this area. And we need to educate and inform from the individual, from the, the institution, and at national level. So we have a bit of a job of work to do, but it, it can be done.
Yeah, we have plenty to keep us busy. Um, Martin, we are coming towards the end of this and I'm going to give you the toughest job of this entire event, which is leave us on a note of optimism. Uh, because as we've just heard Declan say there, there's a lot to do. The threats are scary. The consequences are real. So what is the, the glimmer of hope for us all? It's not a glimmer. It's a big shining ball of sunshine in the in the in the sky. We know how to stop these attacks. Um, we have the uh, the tools, the systems, everything that you need to uh, to protect the systems. Um, we 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 can do it. You you just have to go ahead and use it. Um, uh, in in association with this, we've actually put together a bit of information. If anyone is uh, is interested, we also have um, free use, uh, free trials of our tools. And if you go to um, bit.ly, so that's bit.ly um, slash Cisco Protect, you can come across um, our information that we have available. Ultimately, protecting our societies, our countries and our lives against attacks is all about having those multiple levels of protection in place. Keep the attacks out so they're not coming inside your, your systems. If they are coming in, making sure that your systems are uh, resilient, resistant to those attacks, spotting it early. And if the worst comes to the worst, knowing who to call on in order to get that instant response so you can get in experts in order to uh, resolve the situation and get you back on your feet. It doesn't have to be a drama. It doesn't have to be something that's scary. We do know how to do this. And there are people such as myself and Declan. Um, this is our lives. We only look at that. And there's a whole industry of people out there um, keeping our lives safe and, and making sure that technology uh, is, is used to enhance our lives. Okay, I feel a bit better now. Uh, thank you for that. I'm, I'm relieved that we've ended on a positive, optimistic note, uh, which wasn't easy to do, but well done uh, to Martin Lee, the technical lead of security research at Cisco and Declan Power Security and Defence Analyst. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. You can keep the conversation going in the comments below this video. If you do have any questions, pop them in there. Uh, this event was brought to you with thanks to Cisco, protecting what matters now and what matters next.